Morning. Well, this table is high. I guess I'm short compared to Pastor John. So, but you know, this morning Dudley uh, King asked me what language am I going to speak, and I told him I'm going to speak in tongues. Okay, so hopefully I get it. <clears throat> but truly, uh, this morning it's a it's an honor and it's a privilege for me to deliver the word of God, and I really thank God and I thank uh, Pastor John for giving me this opportunity. And so I want to be faithful to his words, and, um, and God is really, really good. Amen? God is good? All right. Well, um, <clears throat> we have to be careful what we say, right, because I, I do declare that God is good, and because I really mean it from my heart. But sometimes we say things that, you know, we kind of just say it because we do it. You know, I don't know if you remember, uh, there was a, uh, a Christian rancher, and he, uh, because he's a Christian, he wants to teach his horse a certain uh, uh, Christian uh, lingos. And so <clears throat> he taught his favorite horse... That when he says uh, hallelujah, the horse would gallop. And then when he says uh, amen, the, the horse will stop. So he was very proud of his Christian horse, you know, and hallelujah, and it moves, and then uh, amen, it will stop. And so one day he was just enjoying uh, the, the scenery. He was on a mountain path. He was worshiping with the, the Lord. He was into the presence of God. He totally forgot that the horse was coming to a cliff. And, uh, you know, it's a Christian horse, but he wasn't very smart. And so he was going to a cliff, and then uh, and as he realized, the farmer realized, he, he, he was panicking, and he forgot the words. He, he didn't want to say the wrong words because he said, what was the word? And he was, he was terrified, he was panicking, and he didn't know what to say. And just as the horse is about to make the last step into the cliff, he remembered the word, and he said, amen. And then the horse stopped, and he said, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this, be careful what you say, okay? This morning, we're going to read the scriptures. If you have the Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Because we're going to see how the disciple of Jesus was freaking out as well. They were terrified. And uh, for those of you who are guests, uh, we are, our church is in the gospel of Luke since the, last, uh, the end of last year. And we'll continue in Luke until uh, Easter of next uh, year. And so right now we're in chapter 8, starting verse 22. Let's stand together at the honor of the word of God, starting verse 22. <clears throat> now on those days, Jesus had his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out, but as they were sailing, unto the, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and, this, and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this, that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obeyed him. Father, we want to thank you right now for these amazing words, God. We pray right now, Father, that you will really plant the seeds, this, this wonderful seed, God, of your words into our hearts, just like the parable that we talked about last week. God, that it will fall in good grounds and bear much fruits, God, so that we can be transformed in our life, God. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you do whatever you need to do right now, that you will convict us, teach us, encourage us, rebuke us, whatever that you need to do so that we can truly become more like Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> 
Well, there's a couple of stories we're going to read today, but the first one is, uh, is this one here that we just read. And my main pr proposition today is this, church. One thing that you, I want you all to remember is that Jesus has the authority and the power to speak peace into the chaos of our life, okay, the chaos in our life. And so that's one thing I want you to remember. Jesus has the authority and the power to put calm or to put peace into the chaos of our life. Now, there are two kind of chaos that we're going to talk about today. The first one is the chaos that's caused by natural events, such as the storm that we just read. Now, if you remember last week, Jesus was, fin uh, was uh, teaching the crowds in parables, and uh, by the end of the day, in the evening, he invited his disciples to go across the lake. Now, this is the lake of Gennesaret, but some gospel writers also call it the Sea of Galilee. But truly, it is just a, a lake, a freshwater lake. And, um, and many scientists have studied this particular lake because there's so many wonderful in phenomenon in this, in this particular lake. And you know, it was surrounded by uh, mountains in three sides, you know, ranging from 1,500 all the way to 10,000 feet. And when the winds come together, when the wind from the east, the desert wind and the north wind, the winter wind comes and collide on the water, it creates this phenomenon that's almost like a tornado. It's like a gale of storm that's really horrible. It's really powerful. Just to say that God picked the that's the perfect lake to demonstrate his power that he's going to show to his disciples. And so the story goes on that Jesus fell asleep on the boat. He was spent. He was tired. He was fatigued. I know I have a friend, uh, one of my best friends in Canada. He was a professional football player, CFL. And, you know, he won some several uh, Super Bowl type of thing for Canada. And uh, he became a pastor. So we became friends. And I, I remember him telling me, he says, Ed, you know, when I'm preaching, when I'm ministering all day long, by the end of the day, I am just as exhausted exhausted as when I would play the professional football. So you can imagine here the human Jesus ministering to thousands of people, you know, and, and uh, uh, healing the sick. He was spent, he was tired, and he was exhausted, and he fell asleep in the boat, and he was so in deep sleep that when the storm came, obviously he didn't even feel it or, or woke up. And so the disciples start freaking out. This was a horrible storm. This is a storm beyond about another storm because the fact that the disciples were freaking out and afraid of dying it tells us that these, this must be a, a special storm because the disciples were some of professional fishermen, but he was afraid. They were afraid. They were waking up the, uh, Jesus, Master, Master, aren't you afraid? I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a terrible storm like that, but my dad, he was a, a merchant navy captain for 26 years, and I remember him telling me the story. He says that, Ed, one time I had to take uh, transport troops, marines, you know, soldiers from one island to another island, and he said, I, and then his ship got into a storm, and he said that uh, you can tell this, this, uh, these soldiers were crying. They were freaking out. Here, professional, trained soldiers actually crying because they were so afraid for their lives. So this is a real storm, church. And, and I've I never been in such a storm, but I remember when I used to fly, when I used to fly small planes, one time I got into a terrible storm. It was, I, I knew the weather was kind of iffy, but I had to fly from Toronto to, the, to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, I thought I can, I can handle this, you know. And so I went up there, and I, when I got up there, the weather was worse than I thought. And I had some friends, there were three guys, uh, three, uh, three of my friends with me. And, uh, and when I look at my instrument, I noticed that I was only traveling 35 miles an hour. 
I mean, there's no way I'm going to make it to Grand Rapids in that speed, you know, I'm traveling slower than a car. And so I remembered I had to refuel, and I contacted several airports, but they were all closed. The weather was dead bad, visibility was low, and they shut down the airport, so I was scared. I said, oh, man, I have to land somewhere. And I only found one airport that was open. It was Detroit Airport. And I remembered I was coming for an approach. I was so scared. I was panicking. And I turned around, looked at my friends. They were all sleeping. Okay? I mean, I mean, this is exactly how the disciples felt. They were scared, water was coming in, and Jesus was snoring. And I felt the same way. I was scared, you know, this, I've never been in this situation like this before, and my friends were sleeping. And, and I kid you not, this is what I told God. And, I, and it's an excuse, but I told God this way. I said, God, if we don't make it, I'm okay. I am ready to meet you. But these guys, they, don't, I might, they might not know God yet. They might not know you yet, Lord. So please, for their sake, let us land safely. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and obviously, God answered our prayers, and we made it. But here's the funny thing, church. We, we refueled in Detroit, and we waited a couple hours. You know, the weather lifted up and so on. So we, I took off. Now, this is back in the 80s. And usually when I land at a certain airport, I always call my mom. I said, Mom, I'm safe, and so on, and, you know, mothers. And then so I, I, I just... But I totally forgot to call her, and I was delayed three, four hours, and so my mom was worried. And so as I was approaching Grand Rapids Airport, the tower says, Echo Whiskey Delta, you're cleared for landing, runway 25. And I repeated as a tower, uh, Echo Whiskey Delta is cleared to land, runway 25. And I said, finally, I said, uh, thank you and have a good evening. Well, the radio controller came back on, the tower controller came back on and said, by the way, Echo Whiskey Delta, when you land, can you please call your mom because he's been calling for its sake for you. And I was so embarrassed. I said, oh, why do you have to say that over the frequency, you know? <laughs> Mommy's boy is flying, you know? But anyway, God bless my mother. You know, that's the, the hearts of moms. But church, I don't know if you've been in a storm in the, in the land or in the sea or in the air, but I believe that all of us have been through a life storm. Storm in our life, in our marriage, in our business, in our companies, in all the things that we do. There are storms that's caused by natural events. And in these things, I learned three things. First of all, for, when we are in the storm, obey Jesus. Notice in verse 22 that it was, it was Jesus himself who led the disciples through that lake. And then uh, the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, on that same day, even evening, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. It was evening. And I've, in my commentaries that I read that sometimes the storm comes worse in the wintertime, in the evening. And Jesus, knowing there's going to be a storm, he invited the disciples to come, you know, to across the lake. If I have to cross a lake, I would prefer to do it during the day, not the evening. But search, the disciples obeyed Jesus. They went on the boat and went with Jesus. We need to obey Jesus even though it may not make sense. And perhaps you experienced this before. Where, you know, you prayed to God and you thought you got the, the, the best job that God wants you to have. And when you got into the job, it, it, a perfect storm came into your life. Maybe it has to do with marriage. You've been praying to God, God, is this man or this woman, is the man or woman I, should, I, need to, I need to marry? And yet when you got married, you are in a perfect storm right now. And you don't understand, God, I believe that this was the right person, but why is this happening? It's like that man, you know, who was so frustrated with his wife, and he began to pray out loud. He says, oh, God, I don't understand my wife. You made her so beautiful but so stupid at the same time, you know. <laughs> and then his wife heard that prayer, so the wife began to pray too. Oh, Lord, I don't understand. You make me beautiful so that, I mar you know, so that he married me, but you make me stupid, so I married him, you know. And so, <laughs> but, but the point, church, is this, you know, you need to obey God. 
even though it doesn't make sense. But the second thing I see, church, is not only to obey Jesus, but to stay with Jesus. The disciples stayed. I mean, I had no choice, but the disciples stayed in, with Jesus in the boat. The boat was sinking. Terrible things were happening. But I just want to tell you this, church. This is the point. is that if Jesus is in your boat, whatever that boat represents, your life, your family, your marriage, okay? If Jesus is in your boat, you will be okay. You will be safe. Yes, there may be some problems going through. Yes, you, you might get wet and the boat's falling apart. But in the end, you will be safe because Jesus is there with you. And you get, we got to remember that, church. Right now, maybe your marriage is falling apart. But if you believe Jesus is in your marriage, stay in that marriage, church. And believe and believe in God because God can deliver us. And so, church, you know, when I go back to Canada, you know, um, and I meet my past congregation, and uh, you know, I preach in my home church. They would ask me, hey, Pastor Ed, uh, which one do you prefer, you know, can, uh, Toronto or, or Dallas? And I always tell them the same thing. I always tell them that wherever God leads you, wherever God is, it's always the best place to be at. That is the best place. It doesn't matter what country, what city you're in. If Jesus is there, God led you there, that is the best place for you to hunker down. And because that is the best place we can be safe at. You know, yes, I have to admit that the Asian food in Toronto is much better than Dallas. But hey, you know, God led me to Dallas. I have no choice. So, but the third thing, church, that I learned from this story is that not only do we obey Jesus, stay with Jesus, but lastly, pray to Jesus. Pray to Jesus. Talk to him. You know, it's amazing here that verse 23 says, and they began to be swamped into, uh, to be in danger. And they woke Jesus up. They basically talked to Jesus. But here's what's interesting. Why did they wait it so long? Why did they wait until they were in danger? In Mark's account, it says here, and a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling up. Why didn't they wake Jesus up earlier? Why don't they just say, you know, when the storms are coming, when the winds start, you know, they just say, hey, Lord, I think we should turn back or something. But no, they waited until their boat was filling. They were desperate until they finally realized they were helpless. And then they finally woke Jesus up. Isn't this like us, church? Many times when we're in trouble, many times we just try to do things our own way, to extricate ourselves, try to help ourselves until we'll realize that we're helpless. And we said, oh, Lord, please help me. Church, learn this from this lesson. Let's go to Jesus quickly and always stay close with him. You know, I remember um, I was pastoring in Canada for about 15 years before we got called to Dallas. Uh, first, Euless had a mission church in, uh, in Campus West. It started in 2002. It's an Indonesian church. It's a small church there. And they wrote me an email in 2005 inviting me to pastor that church. And I don't know them. I don't know anybody here in Dallas. And I was just happy there. I was not sending out resumes or looking for a job. But I got this email saying, hey, would you consider being a pastor here? And so we prayed. My wife and I prayed. We prayed. We prayed. And, we've, and I felt surely that it was God's will. I wrote it in my journal. that God wanted me to get out of my comfort zone and really trust God. So I came to Dallas here. I came to pastor that church that meets on Saturday evening in, in Campus West. But after about three years, storm begins to come. Wind began to collide from different sides. Our, our, our leadership could not agree. And I was right in the middle of that storm. And everything I did that I could, you know, I, I could not save that boat. The boat was sinking. You know, it was the, 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 I have to be honest with you, there was the hardest and most painful time of my life. Two years. It was, it was just horrible. And 
I begin to complain to God. I begin to ask God, God, you led me here. I believe you took me out of Toronto to come to Dallas to trust you. But here I am in a church that's falling apart and the storm is getting worse. And we're going to sink. I'm going to probably go back to Canada with my tail between my legs as a failure. You know, and all these things. I was just so frustrated with God and, and everybody else. Everything I did, all the counseling, I talked to many pastors who helped me. But none of them was able to help me. But one day I was at the turnaround was on one particular day when I was praying to the Lord in my room. And I remember God spoke a rhema word into my heart. He said, this is what he said to me. Ed, stop defending yourself. If you defend yourself, I cannot defend you. And that really hit me. Because I'm a fighter. When people, you know, accuse me and, 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 you know, do say bad things about me, I will fight back. Okay? That's my nature. You know, that's human nature, right? But I began to learn. I said, God said, you know, just trust me. I will defend for you. And you know, church, as hard as it was, but I began to, to step back and let God speak peace into that situation. It was incredible. In about two, three months after that uh, uh, Rema time of mine, that God began to do, to do amazing things. Because Pastor John and Pastor Gary at the time, you know, heard about the situation. They got involved. And then finally, they said to me that, Ed, give us a couple of weeks and we want to talk to you. And at that time, my heart was beating. I was thinking I was going to be fired, you know, or something. I was sent back to Canada, you know, for causing these problems. But by the grace of God, when I went to Pastor John's office, we sat down for two hours, and then he actually offered me a job. He actually offered me a position to come on staff on First Eulis. And I was just blown away. I said, who am I? How can he, he would take me? I mean, I'm not Francis Chan with hair or something like that, you know. But how can he invite me? You know, I mean, this is a, a, an established white church, and I'm not white, as you can see. And so, you know, and yet he invited me into on staff on First Eulis. I mean, that is a God thing. And I said, oh, Lord, thank you. Just like what you said here in verse 39 in Mark. He says, then he arose and he rebuked the wind and, and said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And God used Pastor John and he spoke peace into my life. I said, wow. And now here I am. You're stuck with me and I'm stuck with you, okay? So <laughs> let's go on to the second point. Praise be to God. God is good. Church, there's two kind of chaos, I said. Number one is chaos by, caused by a natural event. But the second one we're going to read is the chaos caused by unnatural events. And I have to warn you right now, we're going to talk about de demonic activities here. Starting verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Because uh, my first point is actually the encounter here. We're talking about the encounter. And verse 27. And, they, and when he came out unto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time. So you see, they have streakers back then too, okay? Just not like today only. And was not living in a house, but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have in each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. This is incredible, church. This is the encounter here. This is not a parable. This is real. Jesus met a, de a, de a demon-possessed man, okay? And, 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 and then the demons within him could not hide, you know, because demons like to work covertly. But he, because the presence of Jesus, they shrieked out and said, Jesus, what do you have to do with us? You are the son of most high God. Church, I want you to know that demon activities is very real today, believe it or not. You may not agree or you may not believe, think that, that this is true, but demon possession is also very real right now. And some of you might be saying, I believe you, pastor. I'm living with one, okay? <laughs> but no, that's not what I'm talking about here. But church, 
here's, here's, the, here's the, all you have to look. Turn on your TV and you realize, look what happened in Manchester with the bombing. I mean, if any man who believed that if he straps a bomb around him and he kills as many people around him, that he will have a direct stairway to heaven, that has to be a demon-possessed person, okay? Because this is the work of the demons, to kill, steal, and destroy, church. Okay? I'm serious, church. This is the demon, demonic activity. How can you believe that? How can you believe if you kill as many people, innocent people around you, that you'll go to heaven and then 70 virgins will be waiting for you? How sick can that be? I mean, this is not like, I remember when I went to Hawaii, right? The first time I went to Hawaii, I got off the plane and this beautiful Hawaiian ladies with lace around them, you know, she, you know like, like uh, aloha, right? I mean, this is what they believe. They believe that they blow themselves up, they're going to wake up in heaven, and you have 70 virgins, aloha, right? But they're going to be so wrong. They're going to wake up, you know, and then they're going to be 70 demons waiting, ah, come back to hell with us, you know, and stuff like that. So church, this is very real, very, very real. And this was amazing, church, though, that the demons shrieked out. The demons said, Jesus, what do you have to do with us? You are the son of the most high God. And what I want you to notice here is that the fact that even demons recognize that Jesus is the, is the Son of God, the Most High God, that He is Lord. And can you imagine that, church? Today, many people don't recognize that Jesus is Lord, but even demons recognize and bow down before our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And then, you know, today, you know, whether it's Buddhists or Hindus, or, or, the, or they don't believe that Jesus is Lord. I mean, the Muslim, they believe that he's just not a prophet. You know, Mormons or Jehovah Witness, they believe that he was a created being. But church, Jesus is truly the Lord and Savior. He is God. And we as Christians, we need to acknowledge and be proud of that, that Jesus is our God and our Lord. You know, it's so sad that in our community, in our society today, that the only time, the many times, the only time we hear the name of Jesus is always in the context of a swear word. It's a cuss, especially when you watch Hollywood, Right? That's all they do. They just swear using Jesus' name. I remember when I was in the Navy, when I was in a boot camp, you know, that's the, those of you who are in the military, you know that's the culture. That's their language. They cuss, 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 right? And they just, they just, they just use Jesus' name in vain. And I, was just, I got fed up. And I don't do this all the time, but I remember going to one of my comrades there in, my, in the barrack, and I said to him, Matthew, his name's Matthew. I said, Matthew, I noticed that you always use Jesus' name in vain. And before I even finished, he already said, oh, yeah, I know, I know, I'm bad, I'm bad. He goes like that. But I told him, I said, hey, you know, Jesus is special to me. I love him. He's my Lord and Savior. And I notice you're always using him in a, cuss, in, a, in, a, in a wrong way. And I asked him kindly, I said, would you mind please not use Jesus in that way? You can use other names. You can use Muhammad. You can use your dog's name. You can use your girlfriend's name. It doesn't matter. But just say, don't use the name of Jesus. And I want to tell you something, church, that if you honestly stand up for the name of Jesus... Most people will respect you for your, for, your, for your desire. It's amazing, church. It's time for us not to be, you know, to, be, to be afraid of the name of Jesus, that we can speak. And this is what happened here in this first encounter. But the second thing I noticed in this story is what I call the emancipation, the deliverance, basically. The emancipation. Let's take a look at verse 29. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times. And he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet the, he, would not, uh, he would break his bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. 
And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountains. And the demons implored him to permit them to enter in the swine. And he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine. And the herd rushed down, and, uh, down the steep uh, bank into the lake and was drowned. You know, my dad uh, used to tell me that every animal can swim, but I had to tell him, demonized pigs can't swim, okay? They all drown, okay? And, uh, but we're not going to talk about demons. I mean, uh, demons and pigs, okay? That's the devil's ham thinker. But here's, here's what I wanted you to see, church, that this man who was demon-possessed, with legion in him, okay, legion, a Roman legion is a, consists of 5,000 soldiers. So if there's any reference, we're talking about thousands of demons in this person. It was very crowded in there, okay, but, but this man was demonized and he was de- full of demons. But when he had an encounter with Jesus, he was set free. Now, church, uh, you may or may not believe in demon possessions, okay? Like I said, sometimes when you think about demon possession, you think about this uh, girl who was in a, uh, you know, that movie, what is that, uh, Exorcist. You know, her head spins 360s, and, and that's not what we're talking about here. But demon possession is very real, especially if you have been traveling in other parts of the country. I grew up part of my life in Asia, and it's very real. I, I talked to some of our congregation who are from Africa. They will tell you it's very real. I've spoken to IMB missionaries who come from those places. It's very, very real. But here's the question. Can a Christian be de- uh, demon-possessed? Well, if your definition of demon-possessed is basically talking about owned by demons, then the good thing is that I, w- I truly believe that Christian, a true born-again believer who have a personal relationship with Jesus, cannot be demon-possessed. Because the blood of Christ has bought us and purchased us and sealed us, and it's impossible for anyone to take over. But can a Christian be demonized? Definitely. This is what I'm talking, when I say demonized, I'm talking about being influenced, being harassed, being oppressed. I mean, look at David in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1. It says that, that Satan stood against Israel and incited David to, to number Israel. Satan influenced this godly man, man that was after God's own heart. So Christian can be demonized. It can be influenced. It can be impacted and harassed by demons. And, and, but let me give you an illustration here. Um, let's suppose you have a house and you have a mortgage. But because of your bad behavior or because of your activities, you got into bad debt. And you begin to owe a lot of money. And before you know it, you are just way over and you can't pay your debt. You were just so in trouble. But fortunately, you have an amazing dad. You have an amazing father who is so rich and so loving. And you call your dad and say, Dad, I'm in trouble. I need your help. I'm so sorry, I sort of listened to you, and I made a mistake, but I need your help now. And your dad says, you know, our dad says, man, I would have been waiting for your call. I love to come. And so our father comes, and your dad comes to and, and pays the bank and pays every single penny that we owe. And he comes to us, and he says, son, I paid your debt, and now the deed of this house belongs to me. And because I love you, I said, go ahead and enjoy this house for this debt-free house. Go ahead and enjoy it. And you're thankful to your father. Thank you, dad. But before you know it, a few months later or a few years later, you, went back, you go back to your old lifestyle. You begin to invite your drug dealer friend. You invite maybe prostitutes or drunkards. and They stay over in the weekend. Before you know it, your house is a mess again. Now, whose, deed, whose house does that belong to? Did suddenly the house, the deed was moved into, the, uh, belongs to the drug dealers? Of course not. 
The deed will always belong to our father. But the house is messed up. It may break his heart to see that the, the house is messed up. But that's the same thing with us, church. Christ has paid the price for us. And when we have given our life to Jesus, the deed of our life belongs to our father now. We belong to Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But if we allow the demons to come back, when we go back to our old lifestyle, it will, we will still belong to God, but our life will be a mess. And that's when God, will, we will break God's heart. But here's the story, church. It's amazing. This man, no one could help him, right? They tried to chain him up. They tried to shackle him, but he broke everything. No one could help him. No one can help him except Jesus when he had that personal encounter with him. And today's the same thing, church. If we are being oppressed by demons, if we are, you know, know someone who's demon-possessed in a sense, you know, that nothing can help them except Jesus himself. Because, church, you know, we may put people into hosp mental hospitals. We may try to sedate them, give them drugs and medication. And not that I don't believe that people truly have, you know, chemical imbalance that need help in that way. But a lot of times we, 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 we put them aside. We give them a label. We give them a sophisticated a name, scientific name, what they have. And we try to sedate them thinking that will help them. But I want to tell you, church, that you cannot sedate the demon. You cannot sedate them. You cannot drug them up. Demons are not drugged up. You can't. And the only way they can help us is the Lord. And so, church, I'm not against counseling. I'm not against medication. But if we do any counseling, any medication that does not involve the Word of God, it does not involve the truth of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, then it's going to be ineffective. The only one that can set us free truly is Christ alone, what He had done on the cross. And we need... Praise God. And this is what had happened here, church. The emancipation is what had happened here. And so that leads me to my last point, which is the, a great one. It says here that I would call it, first of all, we have the encounter, we have the emancipation, but we can see this man becoming an evangelist. Look at verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported in the city and out of the country. The people went out of the, to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from, from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And look at verse 37. This is very sad. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear, and he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him, but he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe to what great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Isn't this incredible, church? Here's a demon-possessed man that was a maniac, was a crazy man that be became an evangelist for Jesus. This is the transforming power when we encounter the living Jesus. It's amazing what God can do. I mean, this is literally Charles Manson turning to Billy Graham. Can you imagine that, church? This is what really happened. That is the power of God who can transform us from any dem demonic activities in our life. <clears throat> but here's the sad thing, church. Do you notice what we read in just now in verse 37? The normal people, the so-called normal people in the village, you know, the cities around there, they saw this man who was demon-possessed become well, and they don't like what they saw. They were so used to, to this demonic activity. They were so used to, to this man who was, who was tormented by the demons. They're so used to, to see this crazy man that when this crazy man becomes sane again, instead of worshiping God, they begin to drive 
Jesus out of their place and we don't want you, Jesus. Isn't this crazy, church? They're so used to it, to the demonic activity. I don't know why. Maybe because it was bad for business, right? All the pigs went under the, to the lake and they lost their business. Maybe they loved, they loved their pigs, right? I mean, this obviously was a Gentile community because Jews want to be, you know, raising pigs. But, you know, they, they were upset. They were upset at Jesus and get out of here, Jesus. And church, you know what? That's what's happening in our country right now. The normal people out there, they do not want, you know, school, a prayer in schools. They don't want the Ten Commandments in our government buildings. They don't want to put godly men in the White House. They don't want to put, you know, they don't want to have a conservative speeches in their campuses. You know, when, they do, when we do that, they don't want to do anything that smells holy or pure or anything like that. They're so used to it, to, their, to, their, to, the, to the darkness in their life, that they, will, they said, no, we love what we have right now. They were ready to put people who are pro-abortion, they would rather put people who are so pro to the lifestyle of Sodom and Gomorrah than putting godly people in, in our government offices. And yet they consider themselves normal, church. I'm so sorry. But this is what Jesus said in John chapter 3. He said that, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people have loved the darkness rather than the light because their work were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. Church, I want you to see here something, church. We need to remember that only God can set us free. And some people here are just lost. But the beauty of this story is it's not so much talking about the negative things, but talking about the amazing transformation of this, of this demon-possessed demon person who became an evangelist. It's incredible. He recognized, he acknowledged, he knows that Jesus has set him free. He recognized that he's been delivered from his torment. Can you imagine he was naked? I mean, I mean, he was, can you imagine naked in winter and the summer? You got sunburn and you're freezing, you got frostbite. That's a torment. And some of us here are being tormented by certain things in our life too. This is the work of the enemy. And God wants to set us free. And this man recognized he's been set free. And he came and begged Jesus, please, I want to follow you. He fell in love with Jesus. But Jesus said, go home. Be a witness first at home. Tell them what God has done in your life. And it's amazing the phrase is, so he went proclaiming. The verb proclaim is in a present tense. It means that it is ongoing. It's not a one-time event. He continued to proclaim what Jesus had done for him, perhaps until the, die, the day he died. Church, we have been set free. If you are a child of God and you truly have experienced the deliverance of what God had done in our life, are we an evangelist for him? Are we proclaiming what Jesus had done in our life wherever we go? You know, just let me close with this. You know, I was born in Indonesia. And as a Chinese, I was discriminated. And, and, and I grew up with a demon in my life that I call the demon of, let's say, poor self-image. It was just harassing me. Because you see, Satan loves to, to, to pound on you, especially when he sees circumstances. He's an opportunist. When you, maybe some of you here grew up in a broken family or, or been abused and Satan will jump at that and exaggerate it and he will just want to remind you over and over how bad you are and what the background you've come from. And so I grew up in Indonesia and, you know, people call me names, you know, I got beat up, I got bullied and, and I just can't stand myself. I feel like I'm unwanted, I am a, I'm, I'm useless, I'm just, you know, just a, a, a someone that nobody likes. And I thought when my family moved to North America, I thought the demons would go away. But it didn't go away, church. It kept on following me. 
Even in when I was growing up in high school, I, I thought if I can just be a good student and do well in school, that demon will go away, but it didn't go away. I thought if I would do well at in, in sports, people would like me. I thought when I have a nice car, I thought when I know how to fly, I thought when all these things, that demon will go away, but it didn't go away, church. Just like this man, no one could help him until he met Jesus. No one could help me. I thought cars, I thought schools or education or good family could help me out, but I couldn't. I kept on hearing this voice that you're useless. No one likes you. You're not acceptable. You're not good enough. I remember one time somebody said, I have a thick lips, okay? And, then, and, and then so from that time on, I would not smile. And when somebody take a picture, I would, you know? So I kept on thinking, I have thick lips, I have slanted eyes, I have this, I have that. I'm just no good. Nobody likes me. All I wanted to be accepted. The demon was so bad that I almost killed myself. And I, you remember some of my stories before. But I praise God on June 18, 1982. I ran away from home. I ran away from home. And I remember going to the ravine, into the, you know, the jungle by myself. You know, I put my tent. And I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, if you're real, please show yourself to me. Because this life is not worth living. I've been tormented all my life. I said, I just need deliverance. If you're real, please, Lord. And on June 18, 1982, that was the very first time I heard God all by myself in the woods when God said to me, Ed, you're my son and I love you. And when I heard him say that, I started weeping. And I can sense that demon was cast out. The demon of poor self-image. Not that I've become perfect, I'm still struggling too from time to time, certain things. But I know I've been set free. And ever since I've been set free, if you met me before I was born again, you would never think I would be an evangelist or like a, a preacher. I was so shy, I was so timid, I, was so, I looked at myself so poorly. But God doesn't see me that way. Just like he saw this man who was demon-possessed, running around naked. I, didn't, well, I wasn't running around naked, okay? but. Uh, <laughs> But he turned this man to be an evangelist. And so now for me, knowing that I've been delivered, you can't shut me up. You can't shut me up because wherever I go, I always tell what Jesus had done for me. Church, you've been delivered. Please tell others what Jesus had done for you. If you have personally encountered Jesus, you will do that. So I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to close us in prayer. I'm going to invite the prayer counselors to come to, to the front right now, facing you. And when I close up in prayers, I want to invite if anyone of you needs to, perhaps you need to be prayed for, then come up. Don't be shy. Don't let the demons, you know, uh, uh, stop you from coming. Because some of you perhaps right now is being harassed by demons in your life. That demons could be the demons of pornography. You can't just, you try to stop, but you can't stop. Maybe it's a demon of drunkenness. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's broken marriage. But you've been tormented for many, many years by this demon. It's time to stop because I have good news for you, church, that Jesus is here and he wants to set us free and free indeed. Don't be content with the torment in your life. Jesus came to set us free, to set the captives free. So come, if you need prayer, doesn't matter what church you belong to, just come today and we would love to pray with you. Let's all stand together.
with your eyes are closed and your heads bowed, just take a moment, church. Take a moment to, to ask the Holy Spirit, God, what are you saying to me today through this message? If some of you has been harassed by demons in your life, then come, church, right now even. Just make your way forward. Just let's pray together. Some of you never surrendered your life to Jesus at all. Then today is a good day for you to give your life to him. Father, we want to thank you today. We thank you, Lord, that you give us these stories, Lord, that regardless what chaos there is in our life, God, what is natural or unnatural events, God, that we know that you have the ultimate authority and power to speak peace into our life. I thank you, Lord, that you give us this example, Lord, how this man who has been demon-possessed for perhaps years in his life was completely set free when he had an encounter with you. Father, I pray for anyone in here in this room. Lord, if we are struggling with a certain part of our life, that we be willing to come to have a fresh encounter with you. And we believe, God, we know that you will set us free. Thank you so much, God. So I pray, Lord God, as we go from this place, we will always remember, God, that you have set us free, that we will go, God, proclaiming what you have done in our life to those that come around us who need to hear the good news. Thank you, Father, for your amazing love, amazing grace. So church, go now. Go now to this coming new week. Go with the love of God. Go with the peace of Christ. And go with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. God bless you all.